Welcome to the Moving in the Right Direction podcast, a podcast designed to successfully guide seniors and their families in moving from their longtime home to the lifestyle that they deserve. I'm your host, Chris Essenberg, and I'm joined as always by senior real estate specialist and overall great guy, Bruce Nemovitz. How are you doing, Bruce? Well, I'm doing even better uh, since you called me a great guy. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, I do what I can. Um, so, so today we've got a really, really exciting topic, episode, guest, you name it, all of the above. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking today about afterlife. We've got a, a wonderful guest that has had some truly uh, profound and um, powerful experiences uh, with people that he's known that have passed on. And uh, we're really going to just talk about this topic that a lot of people, including myself, including I'm sure most of you out there listening, don't like to think about, don't like to uh, talk about uh, at all, which is, of course, you know, what happens after we die. Uh, so so a really, really heavy, heavy topic today, but but a really, really good one. And we've got a wonderful guest, uh, Jim Lemkule, that's going to talk to us more. Now, Bruce, you've been working with Jim for a while. Do you want to tell us a little background on Jim, how you got to know him? A really good friend of mine that I respected, he passed away since. Um, he said to me one day, you got to meet this one guy. He's different than anyone you've ever met. He's highly intelligent. He's empathic. He's just a great human being yet he's in a very high stress, high level business. And somehow he's able to navigate through it with an incredibly positive attitude. And I'm a member of the Optimist Club, literally. That you are. And uh, so I thought, you know what? I do need to meet this man. So uh, one day, Steve, my friend took me over there and he was, uh, the, Jim was the administrator of a nursing home in my area. And I was kind of nervous to meet him because uh, he was kind of a high level kind of guy and uh, did, you know, just felt a little nervous walking in. And the second I met him, he had this infectious smile and this really kind attitude. Um, just you could tell that he was really happy to meet me. And so ever since then, we've become friends. And Jim has really shared some um, very personal stories with me about folks that he helped get through the transition uh, as they were at end of life and what some of the commonalities that he had seen. And then he went on to share a story about my father, uh, who he never met, some of the things my dad was saying to me through Jim. <laughs> and I was kind of startled, but the things that he said, Jim could never have known. They were very, very special and personal. So absolutely. I, I can definitely um, agree with you that that his whole demeanor is is very, very calming and very unique. And, and he was, he started to talk to you, Bruce, about your dad. And for those listening, when you're, you're about to hear the, the interview uh, that we did with, with Jim, and you'll hear that Jim starts to refer to talking to Bruce's uh, dad. Uh, who passed away years ago, and uh, and that Bruce was not aware that Jim had had this experience, and actually during the process of the interview and after the interview, which will not be recorded, uh, we he started to talk to him and said like, oh my gosh, are, are you 
you're, you, you talked to my dad and, and he said, yeah, yes, I did. So that you can really hear this stuff happen almost in, in real time. It was, it was eerie. It was awesome. It was very, 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 very powerful. And, uh, and like Bruce, you were saying, uh, some of the stuff that Jim was telling you, uh, that your dad said included information that, that Jim couldn't have known something like, you know, he was by the Washington park band shell, uh, and things like things like this. Uh, so just be on the lookout for that. You can hear it happening in, in real time in the, in the recording. It, it's really, really, really. I, I have to interrupt Chris, because I think one of the things that shocked me the most, Jim described the baseball glove I had when I was about eight years old. And it was a specific glove because it didn't have five fingers on it. And uh, Jim was describing that to me and I had never, ever, told Jim anything about playing catch with my dad at the park. Wow. So yeah, so so listen in. Uh, we're we're going to get to our interview right now with with Jim. It's a wonderful talk. Uh, and also, you'll, you'll be able to hear this, uh, you know, he, him conveying this conversation that he had with Bruce's father to Bruce, as we talk. Uh, so really excited about this one. Uh, let's give it a listen. So I am very excited for our guest today. Um, he has been in the healthcare industry for over 50 years, um, was running a nursing home in Mequon for a long time. That's actually, Bruce, that's where you met him, right? Correct. Correct. Most recently, he was running the Three Pillars Nursing Home in Dousman, Wisconsin. Uh, he's got some really uh, interesting stories and great insight to share with us today. Um, he is uh, Jim Lemkiel. Uh, Jim Thanks so much for joining us today. How are you doing? You bet. Thank you very much. It's, uh, I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, now, Jim, I, I know that you uh, were talking. We were talking a little bit before, and you said you uh, you have been obviously in the healthcare industry for over 50 years, but you got started at a very very young age, or at least started to get uh, involved uh, with this in a very at, a, at the age of four. So, uh, can you can you tell us? How you started uh, in the healthcare industry, if it were? Yes, just, just briefly, my aunts were nuns, and uh, they were at Columbus, Wisconsin, and I saw or experienced the first death I saw from a farmer that died and was in the midst of dying in a fire. And my aunt had to take care of him. She was a nurse, and we were walking down the hallway, and he called her name. So that's the first time I experienced or saw a person die. And how did that impact you as a, you were four? So I, I mean, you'd imagine that's something you probably, clearly you remember it, but how, how did that impact you uh, at that age? The, the biggest thing I remember was after she repositioned him, uh, he was, his body was all black, basically all black. And after he, and I didn't really know what dying was at that time, but she repositioned Mr. C, Mr. C and he said, thank you, May. That was her, her name was May. And he thanked her but his skin had come off on her whites of her habit at that time. So she had to go um, change those, her habit. So obviously that was, uh, it was traumatic at the time because I thought, what was all that stuff? But I also knew that Mr. Call, Mr. C was dying. And from what I understand after that, um, you, you continued to kind of follow that path of, of, of helping people that were, uh, you know, in that, and end of life experience is that is that right that's correct 
And so you were now was that volunteering, uh, helping nurses, or how did that how did that work for the next? I started, uh, I started volunteering at St. Mary's Convent on 35th and Center in Milwaukee, where my aunts and my sister were nuns. And I was introduced to my first patient. Her name was Phoebe. I won't mention her last name, but I would visit her every time we went to see my sister. And that was pretty frequently. And I'd play cards with her. But most important, you would just learn the importance of another person's life and how special it was. So many people starting as children and and even into adult life definitely have a very, you know, I I am the center of the universe. Uh, viewpoint. And uh, so I, I, I can only imagine that kind of learning the importance of other people's lives is as silly as that sounds to say out loud, but to, to really, really, truly see that from a very young age, how that would really be uh, beneficial, uh, but also very, very novel. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, children, uh, four-year-old, uh, six, seven, eight, typically not really um choosing to, to, to put themselves in those situations, but you did, you wanted to, to help those uh, other people, whether it was just playing cards or so. So you, you definitely uh, clearly saw a value from that. Did you, did you, what, what did you get out of that, that those encounters? You've explained it far better than I could. I wasn't cognizant of of the point, but as you're explaining it, I can see perfectly why I did what I did. And I went from <clears throat> being a writer and in journalism to um, being a social worker and then healthcare administrator. You put it perfectly. I, I accidentally came upon situations that were important to other people and I learned their names and you never forget when you're that young and you see those situations. And it, and it kind of really, I would imagine, put you in a, Put you in a position in life to be like you know i am part of the i'm part of the greater whole and i think so often especially as children but again like i said well into adult life for many people we are you know just from this we we, we live life from this perspective of like i'm just trying to get what i want or, or how is this going to affect me and it's just very it's isolating it's it's not not good uh but that is how we operate especially in this current society so i think that's so um kind of unique and great that you were able to hone in on that stuff from an early age. And, and clearly, you know, as you were saying, it, it informed the rest of your life uh, uh, as far as the professions that you uh, chose to take on thereafter. So that's, that's really cool. As, as you're describing it, I'm embarrassed. You're, you're correct, but I'm embarrassed by it because it was just, it was right before you, it was the thing to do. So. Well, I, I just have to interrupt here. I, you know, Jim, when I met you, um, I think it was in the 90s, which when I say that, God, it sounds like only 10 years ago, but we're talking like 30 years ago. I mean, I can't believe, I can't believe time has gone by this fast, but I just wanted to say that um, the reason that you're on this podcast is because I know you and you and I met, uh, as I said, about 30 years ago, you were running a nursing home and um, my friend introduced me to you. He said, you got to meet this guy. He's a special man. And I was very nervous because, I, oh my God, I'm going to meet the guy running this place. But when I met you, I, I had this, this sort of calm come across me because you were so welcoming and you had such depth. Um, I could feel your soul almost uh, why you were there. You were there for the right reasons, which is 
was so unusual because I'd run into people that were running the home and everything's about, you know, the cost and saving money and spending money. And you were all about the people that live there. You were, you were so caring and worried about the, uh, the, the patients and the folks that, that were in rehab and so forth. And so um, from that meeting, I walked out of there and I said, wow, this, this is a very special person with great depth. And I now listen to you and I know exactly why I felt that. Thank you again. I'm humbled and a little bit embarrassed by it. It was just a, a natural course of action for me at the time. Maybe what Bruce, what Bruce and Jeannie and his team have done I've consistently watched and monitored <clears throat> the sensitivity of their message. And yeah. while, it's been, while it's been about selling a home, it really isn't about the home. It's about the people that were in the home and the children and the grandchildren and all of the people that meant something to that couple or individual that was leaving that home. So when I talked to them, I said, what is the word that you know, kind of resonates with you the most right now? And, and he said, overwhelmed. And I thought, that that would fit because Bruce was never afraid of taking a stand or of taking a stand to dedicate or celebrate instances of that family's life while it was in that home. It was really about their lives and the spirit uh, that they uh, connected and concentrated in that home. I think he and I connected as we're talking. It's just becoming obvious to me why is because we both have that same uh, sensitivity to the people we're helping. Yes, uh, we get paid because we all have to pay our bills. But I think when we work with people, we listen and we hear their stories and people have a life. It's not just selling a home or moving people. It's about their inner soul. You know, why are they moving? Um, how sad are they leaving? And so Jim and I, I think both just truly uh, care about the people that we are helping. And I, I think that you both are a benefit from that, you know, I think, and it's uh, in our, in our society, you know, there's such a emphasis on like, you know, like just keep going, keep going. The more is better. Uh, you know, how can I do this many deals or can I do this amount of the, if I can do more, that's going to be better. And that's what I should focus on. And that's, that's the way to be happy. That's the way to succeed. Uh, but then, I, you know, I think those people find uh, a, a void inside because they're not, they're not there. They can keep going. You can get as many deals as you want or, you know, whatever, but it's not going to be satisfying. But uh, I think the catch 22 is that if, you know, you slow down and you really just meet people, connect with people, um, you know, let them in and take your time, then you're going to have a, I mean, yes, you'll still get your job done. You'll still, well, you know, Chris, um, you put things so well, obviously you're, you're a great host and that's why you're in your position. But I do, I want to say that um, Jim and I were talking the other day. And one of the things that um, almost kind of startled me, he was talking about uh, in caring for people that were close to death holding their hands and his usual empathetic self. Um, some of them actually had experiences where uh, they did, uh, they were deemed uh, passed away, you know, dead. 
uh, clinically, and some of them came back and he told me about some kind of commonalities, uh, what they experienced. And, and I thought, wow, if you could share that too, that, that just really, I'm still thinking about it after we talked. Oh, yeah. So uh, please, Jim, if you'd like to share that, I mean, that sounds that sounds fascinating. Yes, I think I think you both have touched upon sensitivities <clears throat> that would help anyone watching this podcast know that you have to expose yourself or in you have to integrate yourself into these lives. When I read Bruce's dad and what he had written about running the good race, fighting the good fight, I never forgot about it because I didn't know his dad. But knowing Bruce, I could picture his dad um, sharing those thoughts and then those becoming tenants of Bruce's persona. So the people that, and I started, uh, my first experience, my first death in the nursing home <clears throat> when I was probably 22. And I'll use first names, but I, I experienced these situations with seven or eight people. And this doesn't have to do with God or religion or it's all over the board, but it is about goodness and those people. And the first one, her name was Rose and I knew her uh, granddaughter and she was in her death and I was in the room with her. She passed away. And as necessary, you have the medical director or a doctor has to come and pronounce that individual deceased. And so he did and she did. And then about three hours later, um, that woman started breathing and asked for me. And so I went to see her and she was just as lucid as she was those months before. And I would say that's the thread of commonality between the seven or eight people that I've uh, dealt with that have been pronounced dead and then started breathing again. And the longest was 26 hours. The woman was at a hospital in Milwaukee and she called me um, from the hospital and asked me to come and see her. She had been pronounced dead the day before. So she started, they started feeling her revising or uh, that she was breathing again, 26 hours after she had been pronounced dead. Wow. And the commonality between the seven or eight people was that it was all of the things that we read about or think about in terms of what would be good or great, but they described it in their words. And it was the lion lying down and the lamb in the midst of the lion, in the cup of the, the, the lion's paws, uh, very peacefully, everything was quiet and warm. There were running brooks, and it, it's all the same. All of them said the same thing. That they, like, that they heard like a, a running water? Yeah, yeah, a little really? brook. Yeah, a brook, and, this, and they saw it. It was okay. in the same, it was in the same, paragraph of sight i'll call it the paragraph of sight where you would see animals uh, with birds flying around and sitting on animals backs or on another person's shoulder and a running brook that was clear and streaming but it was warm and it was sunny it wasn't hot it was sunny it was vibrant it was warm and inviting and all of them described that the same way and what happened after rose's death then I became interested in investigating a little bit more. I was never taken by it where I wanted to get sick or expose myself to it, but I was open to what other people were saying about it. And the best example was uh, a woman by the name of Sarah, and that's the one that had uh, started breathing 26 hours after she was pronounced dead. 
And when I went to see her, and I'll uh, cut it short here, but uh, what she experienced, and she described it very, very vividly after she got through the lion with the lamb and the gentle wind, not hot, not cold, beautiful temperatures, everything was peaceful. There was no judgment. There were no conversations that led to a judgment. There were no unhappy discussions. There was just a peacefulness that overcame that. And she said, she was from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and she said, I was in the sandbox <clears throat> with my mom on my right, and I looked and my daughter was on the left, and we were in the sandbox, and we were playing with this old rusted out steam shovel. And we were sitting on the edges of the sandbox that um, my father had put together for us. And <clears throat> when I was talking to my mother and my daughter, we started talking amongst the three of us. I noticed that there was a similarity. And then I looked beyond my grandmother, beyond my mother to see my grandmother. And I looked to my left to see beyond my daughter. And I saw my, um, my daughters, I saw my granddaughter, and then I looked to her, right, and I saw not only my grandmother, but my great-grandmother. And as I understood what was happening, she said I became very, very comfortable, and then I realized we were all 12 years old. We were all 12. We were all experiencing the same memory of that time, so that <clears throat> there was no need for explanation. We all knew that we were 12, we were in the sandbox, we were having a great time, and we were all on the same page or on the same side of the sandbox. She said she went back further and she was eight years old. And while it was less um, down the line of, of lineage, there were other people, friends, and they were picking cotton, but they were enjoying it. They were having a great time and having a lot of fun and laughter. And she described just little girls giggling after school. And, and so what happened with that, I took on a new thought process of being willing to talk to anybody about death if they wanted to. Never ever forced it, never uh, proselytized, or I, I didn't feel comfortable at all doing that. But I did say to people, if you wanna talk or if you want to hear these stories from other people. They're not mine, but they are other people. And there is a common thread. So it might be, you might benefit by it. And I will say that I do remember visiting one man who was struggling with death at uh, one of the hospitals in Milwaukee. And he was ashamed that he hadn't done more. And as it was, my father worked for him. He owned an engineering company. And my father <clears throat> had worked with, with this man uh, his name was Ed, and he owned his own company. But I started telling him, I said, Mr. M, I said, you know the job you gave my father and then my uncle and all of the people, my dad described what you did after the depression to bring people back to help their lives. I said, how could you, he was tearful at the time. He was so worried. And I said, whatever, you cannot be tearful about what you did. And in so doing that with Ed, I learned that it was really a, a relative awareness and that when you say every person is created equal, they really are. So knowing what Bruce's father said or knowing what Ed was worried about or knowing Rose or Evelyn or Verena 
or Bob or Arnie, and those are all of the people that had, were pronounced dead. It, it, it's, it, it wasn't spectacular or anything. It was a commonality, but it was all comfortable. It was all real. The biggest thing that I can remember is that there was no judging. No judging. That's, yeah, I was just actually just, uh, I just I just wrote that down. Like, the people are talking to you that are, that are, you know, worried about death, but what are, so they're worried. They're, they're, they have feelings of worry, guilt, fear, things like that, all those kind of negative emotions. And then they are brought to this place where they, they feel no judgment. They feel comfort. And, uh, and also I think that's really, really interesting about the commonalities with the animals and stuff. I mean, that is, that is, that is really, really, really interesting. But um, also, you know, maybe it, it, it does bring up the thought that, you know, these, these, these emotions, they're all fear-based, right? Uh, guilt, worry, stuff like that. Yes. Yes. And, and, and I did explain to Bruce also, I had three different resident patients that waited till I got back from a trip or vacation, a, a seminar until they died. They, and they told me they were going to wait. And one was Mar uh, Marge and the other one was Della, the two that I remember the best. And they both said, I'm going to wait till you get back. And when I went to see Mrs. P, when I did get back, an hour later, she was gone. And I think what happens, and I, I, I need to say this. I worked before Mequon Care Center. I was at a place called the Protestant Home in Bradford Terrace. And the Protestant Home was a life care facility where people turned over all of they, what they had. Money, all of their possessions were turned over. And then they lived there worry-free. And they lived and they lived and they lived. And their average age was seven years greater than other populations, even though they were four years older at entry. Without the worry, and they explained it, they had in my office, they had boxes with their clothes in that they wanted to be buried in. And they would occasionally come in and update them when they, they found something they liked better. And they were all, there had to be 20 of them in my office closet that were kept there once upon a time. And it, it does bring to mind <clears throat> the thought of what you said before, the rush rush of today's world and you get this and this sale and that sale. And, and these people with, were without worry. And they, one of them, a, 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 a Jewish woman, she had a Lutheran minister do her homily because Rabbi Ron wasn't in town when her film was going to be held. And my point is, is that it was the same symmetry of it really didn't matter who it was or where it was or what it was, but that that pastor, that Lutheran minister was a good person and Bertie, her name was, she knew that he was a good person. And Rabbi Ron said, yes, have, have Mr. Reverend H conduct and, and do your service for you. So the commonality, I think, was beyond religion, was beyond God. They didn't, wouldn't talk about it. We didn't have to talk about God. I mean, even as we're talking here, I, I don't think this may be the first time I mentioned it. But the goodness that came from uh, those individuals and how they set themselves apart as really, truly equal to one another all the time. So I, I guess in, in kind of summary, what I would... I think that in with Della and, and, and Margaret, they maybe waited for me. Maybe it was just by chance or luck. But I do feel that when you create, just what Bruce was describing before, when you can create a, 
of symmetry or a feeling there where you can feel the person's soul or spirit, you, you want to be around it because it's comfortable. And um, I think that comes from just being an everyday Joe. Nothing special. All you're doing is being a part of those individual thought processes and judging and knowing that they are as good or as challenged as your own. Jim, I, I'm listening to this and I, I, I see that you're focusing. It seems that the people you're discussing were somewhat peaceful about the word death. Um, I know that so many people, uh, especially in our culture, uh, have a fear of death, uh, don't want to talk about it. I know even sometimes with my children, when I talk about someday I'm going to be gone, they, oh, dad, don't talk about that. Come on, you be more positive. I don't see it as in my world as a positive or a negative. It's part of living and part of the circle that we all go through, the transition. But you must have also met several people that had a great fear of death. And I wonder if when they did get to that point, how did they handle it? I, I always talk to them. I'm remembering a nurse. Um, her name was Hannah. And she had, she was struggling. She had two sons and they were on opposite ends of the spectrum. And she was struggling because of that. And all I do is I ask them about what they did in their life. And much like you and Jean or Chris or anybody else, you ask them something and they open the book on one of the things they did. So I talked to Hannah about that and what she did during the depression and where she worked at the VA and how she took care of those individuals. And once you help them see what they have meant to other people, they can feel that they are really, and, and this isn't said with their ego, it's said that they're equal because they took the time to recognize that situation and they did something to improve it. They were about doing good in those situations. So Hannah got over it and I really never, after I became somewhat comfortable with doing this, I can't really ever remember. I just helped a woman die. She died less than a week and a half ago and her brother had died uh, two years ago. And so I was in constant touch with her three or four times a week and I'd tell her stories about her brother. And then I did ask her, I said, once you're gone, once you're, uh, when you, once you graduate from life, once you graduate life, I want you to come back and visit me so that I can improve what I'm doing or get better at what I'm doing in helping other people understand that just what you said, Bruce, it's nothing to fear. It's nothing to be afraid of. If you talk about it in the vein of what it is, just a next step. Uh, and this is new. I, you know, another thing I haven't even talked about. I haven't mentioned heaven, the word heaven. Okay, and there's real. There hasn't been a need to mention it because, without describing or saying that word, these people were describing the unbelievable. <laughs> and so um, I, I think that is the 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 the, the symmetry. And and I think to get back to your point, I think you start with asking them, what was your life like? What did you do? How did you do this? How did you do that? And in those situations, you always, you, you open up this firework of all these good things that people do. And because of focusing on the negative or being brought to that, uh, we don't celebrate 
as much of the positive as we could. So I'm, I'm still waiting for Carol. That's the woman that just passed away. I'm still waiting for her first visit, but it was so much fun talking to her and telling her about what she meant to me when she was a young lady and growing up and how I had a crush on her and all of the good things she did with her mom and dad and family. And it's like, it's like somebody else celebrating their life and telling them, hey, how did you do all this stuff? You know, when you were um, discussing uh, the folks that crossed over, you had made a mention of a lion and a lamb. And I know you, you said there were no religious references or anything. And I'm just wondering myself, and maybe people out there also listening, what exactly do you mean by that? Or what is that? I guess I, I, I looked it up before we had the, this meeting and I looked under Islam to see if there was a, uh, a, a uh, parallel to what your father said. And I didn't have the time to read enough of it, but Islam does at least touch upon, upon and it comes from the Bible. I didn't know that until this morning from Timothy chapter four about what your dad said, running the good race, doing, it's, a, it's like, a recognition of I had challenges, I made some mistakes, but you know what? In the end, I finished strong and you only finish strong because of yourself and others. You can only finish strong by yourself and others. And so I, I took it that those individuals as they, they were describing it, it hit, and they had it. The, the lion was a male, it was a, a male lion and it was cupped around, it was laying, back with its arms exposed and the lamb was right in there like it was getting warm from the lion. And all of them, all of them used the lamb and the lion. I don't know where it came from. I mean, if I had to guess, maybe in my thought process it came from being Christian and learning about uh, St. Francis of Assisi and some guy who just loved animals. And so animals were the peacefulness of that person's being. And I don't know anything about St. Francis. I also, I like the, the, the imagery as far as it relates to everyone being equal, which is something that you've brought up a few times that I think is really important and, and definitely in contradiction with a lot of the struggles that we face on a day-to-day -day basis here in, you know, while living, uh, which is that, you know, whether it's our ego or, or fear-based of, of, you know, not of, you know, either being, never being, never feeling, or at least not spending a lot of time feeling equal It's either, oh, well, I'm, I'm lesser than, or maybe I got to be better than, but when, I'm, which is all always keeping us in a state essentially of being discontent. Uh, but that, <laughs> right. yeah, cause it's, I mean, it's not, you know, either if I'm, if I'm, if I'm better than, well, that's kind of egotistical. And then there's always that fear that I'm going to, oh, I'm going to be worse than, and if I am worse than that, I got to be, and it's just, we're never just one of the many. We are never just equal and, and that, that, you know, Hey, you've got a lion, you've got a lion. Everyone is just, you know, it's just, it's at peace. And I think that's, that's quite a, a an image. Really quick. Right. The Dalai Lama is a good one for that. He and Archbishop Tutu did a book together. And I think I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said, I'm nothing more than one of what is it? 8 billion people on earth. I'm nothing more than just one of 8 billion. Why would I worry about me? when there are all these other things or people that I can assist or help. I, I Now, I re really want to 
now really quickly i wanted to ask you mentioned uh that um carol who had recently passed on you're waiting to you know to see if you're gonna have a, a visit from her and, and you guys had spoken uh prior to her passing now is that something where you've in with other uh individuals where you have uh seen signs or seen you know any like something that would indicate uh something from beyond like a, a visit or something like that oh absolutely and they're very <laughs> they're they're not scary at all they're fun and they're fleeting and they're they're like you know just a split second but it's like a, a firework going off and it's always positive. Never have I seen that. I'm thinking of one now, a woman who uh, whose mother died and she didn't know what to do. Uh, she was a Jewish woman. And I used to say, you gotta, you gotta be talking more to your mom. You have to be open to the fact that she's gonna be tapping you on the shoulder. She's gonna be all around you at different times, doing different things. And it happens all the time. I think that Chris, that's a key thing that you brought up a couple of times, and that is the equality is something that you see in those individuals, and you're celebrating that moment because you knew or you know how many times they did good things. I think that's something that as individuals, we definitely, uh, you know, don't remember too. We can focus too much on on, on the things we didn't do, like you were saying that you uh, have encountered with some people that you talk to, but um yeah, that's 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 really really powerful stuff, and the and I like that that all the you know the, the the visits and everything just being positive experiences and and just you know uh, that it is uh, that ultimately who would have thought that we can look at something experience like death and actually look at it as a potentially like a thing of love, you know, oh, yeah. as opposed to, you know, the, the, our, you know, the, our, our default setting is, oh my gosh, don't even talk about it. That's the worst thing ever. And, and I want to avoid that at all costs. And, and that's what I will do. And I'll, you know, uh, but, but it, it, maybe that's not the case. I, I had one nun that I used to work with uh, for sure. I only worked with her a year, but she became part of the family. And so and she used to always say to me, Jim, you look forward to death too much. And I don't look forward to it, but I have no fear of it. And I have to admit, when I think of what some people have told me, and when I think of the accomplishments of people, um, back in the late 60s, my parents allowed me to harbor a black kid at our house in West Dallas. We didn't have any black people in West Dallas. And they knew that I knew that Norris, his name was Norris, that he was innocent of the crime he was um, suspected of doing. And they let me keep him overnight, two nights in the house. And then I smuggled him into the detention center where I knew he would get correct help uh, off Watertown Plank Road. I put him in the back of my dump truck. He was in the back of my dump truck and I took him into the detention center where I knew the social worker. And I knew that Norris would get a fair shake and he was not guilty of that crime. But what it, when I think of that, I think of my mom and dad doing that at that time. And then I think of the millions of people that have done those things. It is like mind boggling to think of the chances and the good things when Bruce's dad said, I ran the good race. I can only imagine what that good race looked like. And I think it's really important too to celebrate the good race that we've all run and not just, you know, and, and, and not get caught up on shortcomings which is absolutely right absolutely um, right jim i i just keep thinking this 
you know, th- I'm thinking of this podcast, I'm thinking of the listeners out there and, um, you know, they just don't have the ability to be positive about um, passing on. They, you know, when we focus on leaving people that how sad we're going to be to leave our grandchildren and our children and our spouse or partner. And is there a message you can, you can give to folks, which I'm sure many of you out there are thinking the same thing. You know, Jim is, is, is so positive in his way about talking about crossing over, I guess we can call it, but you know, when this podcast is over, I'm still going to be the same person. Um, and I think maybe there's really nothing after life or whatever you believe. Uh, is there some kind of message you can leave the folks with um, that are thinking in that way? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think the answer is what I said before, pushing or integrating yourself into those situations. I've thought, uh, I've, I've thought a dozen times already of being 15 years old and being with those other Haitian people under the, under the bridge. When you look at yourself as one of 8 billion and you see those situations. And then, like I said, you recognize if my mom and dad did this way back in 1967 or 68, took that chance, how many people have done things that my mom and dad would say would be far greater than that what they ever did. So I would encourage people to look to their life and look to uh, what Sarah told us in terms of being eight or 12 years old and with generations on either side of us and enjoying that moment with those individuals in the sanctuary of that moment, because it really is, it's a sacred place to think, here I am, I mean, I can't wait to meet your father, Bruce. I can't. We'll probably play catch. I mean, <laughs> I hope I meet him also. And, and, and after, you will. <laughs> you, I think you, you convinced me that uh, he, he's still probably running that good race in another area. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Jim, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. I really got to say, um, and I'm sure Bruce can uh, will agree that your your energy is contagious in the best way. Uh, and I, I really, I really appreciate our, our, our time today, our chance to talk uh, about the experiences that you've had and the life that you've led. I think it's really just, uh, it was really a, a great experience. And so I, I thank you so much for coming on. And uh, not yeah. at all. Both you and Bruce touched upon things that I had never thought about in this last 45 minutes or so. And that comes from someone being sensitive and plugging into that other energy outlet. And all of a sudden I'm energized by what you said and what Bruce said in a different way. It, you, it, you can't help it when, because it's a discovery and they think, I never thought of it that way. And so thank you both very, very much. This has been a, a, a humble honor. Well, Jim, I, I just have a very strong feeling that people listening to this are probably going to be emailing me or getting a hold of me um, at, and, and I know Chris, you're going to ask me where can people get a hold of me and it's at brucesteam.com and you can go on my website and, um, you know, get a hold of me that way. But I just have a feeling, Jim, that people hearing this, some may want to actually speak with you or maybe contact you or ask you a question or two. Um, is that a possibility? Is there some type of way we can 
forward somebody's questions to you. I, I think so. I, I, I didn't mention her, my 99 year old mother-in-law, she's going to be a hundred lives with us. So uh, we're home pretty much all the time. I would say if somebody has a question, they route it through you, Bruce. And then in respect to my time and um, the needs for, for mom, um, that I would answer them through you. Um, so they could have a direct link to you, but it's all really based on what we said before. That keyword is vulnerability and um, being overwhelmed and knowing that there's an answer within those two ideas, those two thoughts. So if they route it, if they have a question, I'd be happy to answer or address it through you. It would probably be the easiest if I'm, that's not too much of a burden for you. Yeah, that'd be great. Perfect. That sounds great. So. Uh, just to, to recap, yeah, if, if anyone wants to get in touch with Jim uh, or in touch with Bruce, you can uh, email Bruce at Bruce at Bruce's team.com or you can go to his website where you can find out all the latest and greatest stuff that Bruce and his team have going on. So again, that's Bruce's team.com, no apostrophe. Uh, and of course, you can find uh, the podcast. And we'd like you to subscribe uh, and listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or right there on Bruce's website. It's there for you. Uh, so again, thank you guys out there all so much for listening. And join us next week as we keep you moving in the right direction. See you then. <laughs>